0: This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports, really. And the best part is anyone can take advantage of GMC's platform by signing up for consignment services. What are you waiting for? Head on over to GregMorrisCards.com slash consignment and start moving your cards with Greg Morris today. What's up, everyone? This is episode 245 of the Wax Museum Podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards, from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Podcast, and my X account is at waxmuseumpc. Well, I feel like I need to talk a little bit about Victor Wimbanyama, Which, for whatever reason, has become kind of a touchy subject for some already. I saw someone the other day make the comment, uh, or something like, you know, every time Wimby takes a breath, people go crazy. Well, I think the reality is, they can't handle the fact that he's being hyped in the sports world, and the sports card world. And for those of us in the hobby, these worlds will always intersect. So if you don't like that, you're just going to have to get over it. And quite frankly, Wimby's living up to the hype. He's been incredible so far, And you shouldn't feel guilty about wanting to watch him. Although when he's going against your favorite team, it can be kind of tough. I had mixed feelings heading into the Pacers-Spurs game on Monday night. Now keep in mind, the Pacers had just given up 74 points in the paint to the Hornets the game before, uh, including 27 from Mark Williams. And I felt pretty sure Wimby was just going to feast on them. But he's so much fun to watch that the idea of that, really didn't bother me that much either. It just seemed inevitable. So I had all intentions of sitting back and appreciating what I was watching. Now, it turns out Obi Toppin did a really good job on him and limited him to 13 points. More on Obi Toppin later. Maybe the Pacers just got lucky. But I hope that Wimby continues to put up monster stats against other teams. And if he stays healthy, that's likely going to be the case. Which also means he will continue to be a major story in the sports card world. And there are a number of different directions I could go with this, a lot of which would sound like market advice. And I don't want to get too far into it today. I know I gave Zion a two parter back in the way, way early days of this show. I think maybe even the first five episodes. I figure Wimby's going to get an episode of his own at some point as well. In the meantime, My message in short, and and I guess I will elaborate a little bit, but it's just be careful. Examine the history of the hype players that have come before, at the same time realizing that none of those situations are exactly alike, and know that some of the people that are talking the loudest right now are the ones trying to control the narrative. For example, a week or two ago, I saw a post on the Basketball Card subreddit bragging about a $110,000 wimby card sale that set the record for any wimby sale they made this you know big deal about it hey digital or physical it's the record well it just so happened that this card was digital you know no red flags there right and the person that posted it was the ceo of the digital company no more red flags there and when you looked at his post history he had practically zero engagement with physical cards Honestly, I thought these people had mostly gone away by now, now that things have definitely cooled off. We don't have as much of the the stupid money as we used to have in this hobby. But it appears as if Wimby is giving them one last entry point into this space so they can try and take more money out of it. I wonder if this works the other way around. Like, can we go into digital communities and, and spam our physical assets? Do they want to see my Jeff Foster patches, right? They probably wouldn't take too kind to of that but I digress. There are plenty of issues in the physical card world too. watch out for the breakers right now. And then people that have something to sell you. Think about a couple of the narratives that we've heard so far. Uh, the early Bowman U stuff was all about it being Wimby's first cards. And then there was another version that was, well, this is his first on card auto and then prism draft recently. Well, it's his first Prism, And then looking forward before you know it, they will be pitching hoops as the first pro card acting like the college ones they pushed on you for two months now don't matter. And eventually they'll be ripping their shirts off, trying to sell you non-associated logoman cards in National Treasures and Flawless. So please, if you take one thing away from this little opening segment, when it comes to Victor Wimbanyama stuff, remember to pace yourself. Don't get so caught up in everything that's going on. And that's not to say you can't enjoy those products or not to say that you can't go chasing Wimby, right? That's a lot of the fun of it. I get it. I plan on buying a Hoops Blaster or two trying to pull one of his rookies. I know I joke on here that Hoops sucks, but that was really during the market boom. I've always liked Hoops as a first cheap product of the year. So that's something I'll be chasing. I'll likely do the same with Prism, provided I can get some. I've done that for years now, but I'm not going to go crazy. And that's all I'm going to say about Victor right now. Uh, Aside... From the fact, I can't emphasize this enough, that I think Spurs games are must-see TV right now. Okay, now for your regularly scheduled programming. I've got a trio of topics lined up for you today. In just a moment, I'm going to talk about a pretty big piece of news to hit the basketball card world. After that, I'm going to talk about a few packages I got in the mail this week. Shouldn't surprise you. Guess what? They're all Pacers cards. And then I'm going to close today's episode By recapping a recent trip I made to Port St. Lucie. And um, that's a couple hours away from me. I hit up a small card shop and a small card show on the same morning, both of which I had never been to before. So I thought I would share that experience with you today. You'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. All right, I know you guys have seen the big LeBron James news by now. I guess nothing's technically official yet, but or at least as of the time of this recording, so I think I'm doing this segment Tuesday night. But um, earlier this week, Darren Ravel posted a mock-up of a Bowman Chrome U Superfractor Auto of LeBron and Brawny James with very careful or even suggestive wording. He didn't explicitly say that LeBron had signed with Topps, but it's definitely implied in the post. And I've seen a couple other people confirm that they had the news too. It seems like a leaked image was floating around behind the scenes, but no one really had definitive proof. Regardless, it appears to be where we're headed. And really, it's where we've been headed for a while now. The breadcrumbs have all been there. We had Upper Deck taking them off their list of exclusives. Bronny signed stuff for Topps products not long ago, and, and the list goes on. If he has, in fact, signed, I still don't think we'll be seeing that many LeBron autos to begin with. You might remember the Space Jam product I previewed at one point where the odds of pulling a LeBron auto were something astronomical like, I, I, honestly, it was like one in a million packs, maybe even more than that. And the truth of the matter is, there just isn't much incentive for him to sign. How much money do you have to pay a guy that's already worth so much? And I was messaging about this with one of my friends, and he said something to the effect of, it'll probably be like Tom Brady where he signs a few just so they can say they got him. And uh, I I really couldn't argue with that. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, which in a sense is a little disappointing because as of this point, they've used big announcements like this to try and compensate for the fact that the products that reach the majority of their customers uh, are garbage. Regardless, I'm happy that we're going to eventually see LeBron Autos in NBA uniform and uh, hopefully not all stickers. I don't really care much about what it means for the value of the existing ones. I know a lot of people have talked about that. I like the fact that more people have a chance of owning one, and it's not like they're going to flood the market anyway. He's not going to sign that much. He'll never catch up with guys like Magic or Bird. That would take years, so I'm not worried about anything like that. I think out of everything, though, I'm most excited for the buybacks that could come as a result of this. And by the way, thanks to Auburn35 for bringing this up in a reply to one of my tweets from this week. I've been thinking about it a lot ever since. And thinking about three or so cards I'd like to see reissued as certified pack-pulled autos. And and no, I don't want them to sign any you know, super refractors or gold refractors or anything like that. Let's just let those be. They're serial numbered cards. Let's just let them stay where they are. But as of right now, I, I came up with this list of three here. Uh, number, well, really in no particular order. I'd love to see a, a tops or tops Chrome rookie buyback. I know it's a very common card, but uh, I think it's an iconic card. It's something from tops that we never really got signed. I'd love to see a uh, maybe a 2009 tops where we've got that horizontal dunk image. And honestly, you know that, that maybe that one doesn't come to your mind immediately, but there are so many good, dunking photos of him on tops cards and bowman cards that surely we could see some of these as a buyback and then of course you can probably guess the last one I'm going to mention but it would be the 2008 tops or probably the chrome version but they're the same picture the chalk toss image just imagine an autograph centered in that chalk cloud the spacing on that image seems almost perfect for an autograph i'm you know maybe someone out there has been able to get that signed so far It's hard telling, but I don't think I've ever seen one, so I think that would be pretty cool. In addition to buybacks, I was thinking maybe they could do some sort of missing years set where they adapt some of the baseball designs from the years where they didn't have the basketball license, Uh, except for 2015. That set was hideous. But they did something similar for Bill Russell in 2007 basketball, and that's one of my favorite cheaper insert sets from the 2000s. You can probably I think there's, I don't know, maybe eight or nine cards in the set, maybe even more than that. No more than 11. I think it fills maybe a binder page, maybe a little more, but uh, you can grab that whole set for probably about 10 bucks. But um, you know, as for LeBron's missing years, I think 2011 tops would be kind of cool because it would remind people of the Trout update rookie and also get LeBron in a heat uniform at the same time. I know, re- regardless of what you think about Trout long term, that is an iconic baseball card of our time. And I think uh, a card like that would have some significance. I'm not saying it would blow up and be huge and super popular, but I think something like that would be kind of meaningful. Now, all of that is to say, I'm excited about the potential of LeBron Autos and new products. I can't say that I have faith in Tops and Fanatics right now to make sure it's done right. I'm not going to go down that route today. You, you already know how I feel. But this is potentially some pretty big news for the hobby, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay, on to the mail, and the first package I want to talk about today was a mixture of some of my overseas mail, and I think it was eight pieces in total. There weren't any top 50 cards in there that really stood out, but it was all solid stuff and all Pacer stuff, although three of them were damaged, I guess... And part of that's on me. I need to start translating auction descriptions now so I can try and decipher whether or not they're mentioning the damage in there. But um, you know, even if they didn't, I'm, I'm kind of stuck with it if it's an overseas auction. But um, I won't go through every card in that package of eight. There was a nice Flawless patch. There was a nice Ron Artest patch. There was a Jersey numbered Andrew Nimhard titanium parallel. So even something that was ultra modern. I think my favorite card of the eight also happened to be the cheapest. Although, come to think of it, it might have been so cheap because one of the corners was pretty dinged up. But it was a 2012-2013 Panini Brilliance Game Time Jerseys Prime Patch of David West, numbered to 25. And this is a horizontal card with a big patch piece on the left side. I don't know if I would have called it a jumbo patch in an era where we had Absolute and then shortly after we had the debut of Immaculate. But it would definitely be considered a jumbo patch now, and I have great memories of that era, and as I've said before, I'm making it a point to go back and grab some of the better stuff I don't have yet. I did a little video of my opening that package of eight cards, and it should be up on my YouTube channel by Saturday, so you might be on the watch for that. Okay, the last two pieces I want to talk about today are also patches, and both of these are unlicensed patch cards, the first one I've had my eye on for a while now, it is a 2023 President's Choice Solitaire Update Jumbo Memorabilia 1 of 1 patch of Obi Toppin. And I mentioned Obi earlier, but ever since Obi was publicly on the Pacers radar, I've been looking for a nice Obi card to add to the collection, but I've been pretty picky because I don't want something that just screams Knicks when you look at it, and that's nearly impossible considering he played for the Knicks. And then I didn't want a college sticker auto, or I didn't want an unassociated relic. That really narrowed things down for me. But I saw this card listed from a product I followed, and it stood out to me. Because it was a jumbo NBA 75th anniversary diamond logo man of sorts. Uh, No Knicks logo anywhere on the card. And then when you turn the card over, it explains that this relic is from a shooting shirt that Obi wore at the 2022 Slam Dunk Contest, which he won, by the way. So that checked all the boxes for me. Jumbo patch from a product I like. There's no Knicks logo. The Relic had some significance. The problem was there was only one copy of this card, and when I started looking at it this summer, the seller had it listed for like $350, and I wasn't even going to pay a third of that. So, um, you know, it it was up to the waiting game at this point. And I still figured I would probably outpay the other people that might be interested. So about once a month, I'd throw out an offer, a a very reasonable offer, mind you. It would get declined. I'd wait another month. I'd do it again. Along the way, the seller kept slowly lowering the listing price. And when it came time for the start of the regular season, I was making a collage of cards of the Pacers starting lineup, sans Obi. And that reminded me that I hadn't offered on this diamond logo yet this month. So I shot an offer over, still reasonable, but a little bit higher. Not much, but a little bit higher. And surprisingly, it was accepted. So I think they figured out the game that we were playing and and they finally gave in. So I will have to get an updated picture of that starting lineup collage with this Obi Toppin card in it. Although he might not be there for long. I, I know I talked about how he did a pretty good job on Victor but otherwise, he's not done much so far, and, and I'm sure the Knicks fans are out there rejoicing, but I would say he's being outplayed by Aaron Neesmith, who's been the, been uh, pretty great this year, and we're using him as a small ball four. Uh, I really didn't like when Rick did that last year with Aaron, but it works against a lot of teams in today's NBA, so it is what it is. Anyway, I'll get back to the cards here. I'm happy to have landed that top, and, and I'll make sure to get a picture of it up on social media so you can see it as well. Okay, the second card I want to talk about is also from President's Choice Solitaire. It is a jumbo number 101 patch of Reggie Miller, and it's a large piece of the number three, although it looks to be the smaller three, which means it would be the one from the front of the uniform and not the back. This is a card that I had not seen before, but one I knew was on the checklist, so I didn't know exactly what it would look like, but I kind of conceptually, I knew what I was looking for. I had a save search for it. And to the best of my knowledge, it's never been shown publicly. So this past week, it showed up on eBay at auction. And it was one of those cards I I looked at a couple times a day over the course of the six days it was listed. I guess that's a good barometer of of whether you're going to value a card in your PC down the road. Not necessarily in my top 50, I don't think. But it's still one that I I like quite a bit. Um, But that whole looking at a card several times a day... It also makes that whole acquisition process kind of stressful, which is why sometimes I just prefer a good old-fashioned pen. Anyway, I waited it out. I won the card for a lot less than I figured it would cost me. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people shy away from the unlicensed stuff, especially the big Reggie Miller collectors, and I'm thankful for that. They can have all the monster stuff. Um, They can have all the big, exquisite, and flawless cards. I've got my one exquisite card I'm happy with, and, and I'll settle with this. And aside from the patch itself, visually, I know this isn't the greatest looking Reggie card out there. If I had to describe it, I would say it probably looks like um, if you were to order a Jumbo Immaculate Reggie patch from Wish.com, this would be what would show up instead. But Reggie never really got any patch pieces this size from Panini. The closest thing would probably be that from 2017 Flawless, which I've got a handful of those. I don't anticipate any more of those hitting the market anytime soon. So if you follow me on Twitter or X, uh, I've already got this one scanned in. I plan on showing it off on my YouTube channel as well. So if this is something you'd like to see for yourself, feel free to check out either of those two places. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by COMC.com. Are you tired of spending hours listing cards for sale? Yes, I'm raising my hand here. I am. I stopped that years ago. If you're like me, then you're in luck because the ComC consignment marketplace is the easiest place to sell cards online. ComC will identify, scan, list, store, insure, package, and my least favorite part to do on my own ship. So they'll do that for me. You just send them your sports cards all in one package, your trading cards, your collectibles. They'll take care of the rest. All you do is set the price. Visit Comcy.com today to start selling your cards. Okay, and then real quick, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my eBay affiliate link, and using this link costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. To access this link, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the eBay logo, shop as planned, so whatever you're going to buy anyway Just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo, and now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so this past weekend, Mrs. Wax Museum was out of town, and I was itching to go to a card show. I go to several card shows a month, so that's really nothing new. But for whatever reason, none of my normal go-to shows in Central Florida were on the schedule, so I had to branch out a little bit, and I drove to the Atlantic Coast to visit Port St. Lucie. I think the other options were either three or three and a half hours away, and quite frankly, I do not like driving or even riding in the car for that matter, so this show was a little over two hours away, and with the exception of some of the bigger shows, that's pushing my limits. Obviously, I do like cards, though, so in many cases, I just have to suck it up and get in the car and drive, and usually I'm glad I did when all was said and done. I think I would say that's true for this past weekend. I was originally on the fence about going to this show. I found it online, I'd never even heard of it, and it looked like it was only about 50 tables. Now, sometimes small shows are still great opportunities to grow your collection. These shows get overlooked, and it only takes one deal or one card to make the entire day. I prefer the larger shows, though, simply because of the odds. In theory... You know, you're twice as likely to find that stuff at a show with 100 tables as you are 50. So, like I said, I was on the fence. I googled card shops in the area and found one 10 minutes away. So, that was ultimately enough to sway me. I figured I could hit them both. So, I'm going to be talking about that visit a little bit later on as well. Okay, so the drive was fine, and I eventually made my way to the venue, which was the Polish American Club Convention Center it reminded me a lot of the other Shriners and, and Church Parish Hall venues I'd been to before. And The first dealer I saw when I walked in was someone I'd seen quite a bit at other shows, which did not feel like a good sign to me, because another reason I was willing to drive over two hours to get here was because I wanted to see different dealers with different inventory. And as it turned out, he was about the only one I recognized, so that first impression was in fact not correct. And one of the urges I have to find at a show, and and particularly a small show, is this feeling that I have to buy something to justify the trip. It's like overeating at a buffet, so you feel like you're getting your money's worth. By this point, I've left dozens of shows cardless, so it's a lot easier to dismiss that feeling now, but it still creeps up from time to time. Such was the case here at one of the first tables I went to. This dealer had an Onyx Vintage Red Signature Autograph of Tyrese Halliburton I think it was in an SGC 9.5 slab. And this was an autograph I had wanted, albeit in blue ink, when Tyrese was first traded to the Pacers because I wanted a cheaper on-card auto where he was not in a Kings jersey. So my options there were very limited because a lot of the draft stuff and maybe even all of it at that point was all stickers. So um, I have since acquired other Halberton autos, including a few I've gotten signed myself in person. Well, you know, I'm looking at this card And I asked for a price anyway, and it started at $200, I politely passed, it dropped to $125, I politely declined. Eventually it got to $80, which is probably a pretty good price. I never even looked the card up that whole time, I just knew that raw blue ink versions were probably in the $35 to $50 range. So like I said, this $80 was probably a pretty good price, considering it's a little more rare and it's also in a 9.5 slab. But I had to ask myself... Why should I pay $80 for a red auto in a non Pacers jersey when there's Pacers stuff out there now? And I already have autos for him. I think it all boiled down to me really wanting to come home from this trip with a nice PC card to uh, sort of legitimize this whole thing in my mind. And it just doesn't make sense. So I passed. And these are the things that are going through a buyer's mind that a seller can't possibly know. This dealer's probably watching me thinking, you know, I offered that guy a great deal. What's going on? And if he were thinking that, or if he was thinking that, you know, rightfully so, he, he doesn't know, but you know, he also can't take it personally. And, and I didn't see any indication that he did. This is just me trying to role play both sides. All right. So I worked my way past the Halliburton card. I didn't buy it. I worked my way past some Pokemon stuff. And a lot of baseball. It feels like shows are starting to become a lot more baseball heavy again like they were pre-pandemic. Back to the days where I had to ask dealers if they had any basketball packed up behind their other stuff. Eventually I found a table that had a nice mix of 2000s and modern stuff, which was right down my alley. And I took a couple minutes to go through his $20 and up box. There was a lot of stuff in there that you know, probably isn't close to $20 now. And, and I get it. You know, I've priced stuff and I don't like to go back and price it again. Because it's just very time-consuming, but I I think there might have been a Trey Young hoops rookie in there, and and those might go for $2 now. So, um, you know, I've made up my mind though, if I have the time, no matter what the pricing looks like, I'm going to try and look through every box anyway, because you never know what you're going to find, and in some cases the pricing discrepancies could work the other way. You know, you might find something for $2 that would normally sell for $25. Well, I'm glad I did because the box setting next to that had stuff marked anywhere from $3 to $15, and um, I ended up grabbing a 98 Molten Metal Fusion of Rod Strickland, an Elton Brand tops Gallery of Heroes stained glass insert, a 2000 tops Heritage Rookie of Kenyon Martin numbered 1972, and a 2000 tops Chrome Refractor of Travis Best. So uh, two of those, the, the two cheaper ones there at the end, were cards I needed for sets And then the other two were cards I figured I could move for Pacer stuff down the line. That's kind of my goals when I'm going into a show and purchasing stuff. And I felt like the prices on the stuff I planned to move, those were pretty good. While the other stuff seemed a bit high, a lot of times in this scenario, I try to offer up a number or a certain percentage off of the sticker when I hand the cards to the dealer. This time, I just handed him the stack to see what he was thinking instead. I think the sticker price was $28, and he asked me for $15, and that was with no back and forth, so I was pretty happy about that. That just goes to show, if you see something you like, it never hurts to ask. And that was the only purchase I made at the show, save for a two-row box. I got one of those for 5 bucks, which is the cheapest I've seen in a long time. That cardboard stuff seems to be getting really, really expensive. I did, however, have a conversation that I think might lead to another transaction sometime down the road. There was a dealer there from New Jersey who had a lot of vintage baseball, and for whatever reason, the topic of signed cards came up. I mentioned to him that I was looking for basketball, and he said he had a lot of signed 1973 tops back home, including ABA guys. So, of course, there's Pacers in that. Now, I think the 73 set is ugly, and that's an understatement. I think it's hideous, and I generally avoid it. But I asked about Roger Brown, and he said he had it, and that's one of the ones I would be interested in. So, Hopefully we stay in touch and that transaction materializes sometime later on. I have faith that it might, simply because it's happened to me several times before. You might remember the Reggie Miller Leather Finals Relic I picked up several months ago. That was a direct result of a conversation I had at this year's National. And then that seller eventually emailed me, he found the card, and, and we made the transaction. So while I might not have come home today with a major PC card in hand, There might be one lined up later on, and that wouldn't have happened without this trip. Okay, so that's all for my time at stop number one on this trip, which was the show. I'd only been there a little under an hour. I wanted to stay longer. I even did another quick lap, but at that point, I felt like every stone had been turned. And I was surprised that none of the dealers asked me if I had any cards for sale. That's become pretty common at the other shows I go to, and I understand why. A lot of the times, the stuff the dealers have in their cases, uh, you know, it's not that great or it's it's repetitive, right? They've seen it before. The stuff that people are carrying around in their bags, though, or their Zion cases, that's good stuff. In a lot of cases, it's stuff they've never seen before. And the fact that they're bringing it to a show means they're more than likely willing to part with it. In fact, that's one of the reasons I like setting up at a show from time to time. I've had some great stuff walk up to the table, like an on-card upper deck Mark Cuban auto, or a Wilt Chamberlain relic. But I didn't really see that happening here. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. I just didn't see it. Okay, so now it was time to move on to the shop I had picked out. Which was called Strike Zone. And I was a little confused because half of the Google reviews were people talking about sports cards. And the other half were people talking about bowling equipment. And when you think about the name Strike Zone, that could work for either one. It turns out that was intentional. Because when you walk in the shop... The entire left side is sports cards, and the entire right side was bowling balls, and I don't know what else you need for competitive bowling. Maybe gloves or grips. I don't know, but it was bowling stuff. Anyway, the owner was very friendly, and he asked me what I was looking for. I told him mainly basketball, and he let me know from the start, aside from some 1961 Fleer stuff, he didn't have a lot of basketball. His baseball selection was pretty impressive, though. I'm talking from singles to vintage to unopened wax. I think I even saw an unopened box of 2008 Allen and Genter. And he did have one four row monster box of cheaper basketball stuff, which wasn't priced. I asked him if I could pull that box out and, and I dug through there and pulled one card, the only WNBA card in there. It was a 1999 ultra platinum medallion of Gergana Bronzova of the Detroit Shock. And I don't know anything about her, but whenever I find older WNBA numbered stuff for cheap, I grab it because there's just not a lot of it out there. And before I left, I wanted to spend a little more money to help support the shop. So he had a whole wall of supplies. They were priced really well. I grabbed some of those and I know he doesn't make much on supplies, probably uh, barely anything at all. So I threw a $3 baseball relic on my pile as well. That was one I liked because it had the MLB hollow on it and it looked to be a very dirty relic. It was a a Victor Robles card number to 10. I looked it up. It's from a game where, um, he was caught stealing. So I'm assuming that it, it got dirty because he was caught stealing. But anyway, um, the owner ended up throwing that WNBA card in for free, which was pretty funny considering it was probably the most valuable card I picked up the entire trip. I can't find any sold copies, but platinum medallions for even the common players from 1999, they look like they're moving in the 40 to $60 range. Because like I said, it's, it's just something that's not easy to find. As I was about to head out of this shop, someone else came in and they started talking about the local show. And the owner mentioned that I had just come from there because we had been talking about it. And they asked me my thoughts and I summed it up as follows. If I lived in the area, I'd probably stop by every month, I'd probably even set up from time to time. But being two hours away, I'll probably never go back again. It was good for a one-time thing, but not something that needs to be repeated. And objectively, I'd say the same thing for the shop. I enjoyed it, but I'll probably never go there again unless I'm in the area already for something else. And like I said, I want to be as objective as possible in this recap. So you do need to know if you go there, you're going to leave smelling like cigarettes. And that didn't ruin the experience for me. But it definitely wasn't something I expected. So all in all, I was on the fence about making this trip. In the end, I'm glad I did. I got to check another show out, and I got to check another shop off the list. I picked up a couple of small cards for the PC. I grabbed a few others I think I can turn into PC cards later on. And then I made a couple connections that might lead to some PC pickups a little later down the road as well. All right, well, there you have it. I try not to talk about shows on here all that much for fear of things getting repetitive because I do go to shows fairly often, but I felt like this experience was unique enough that it was worth sharing. Maybe there was something I talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at museum podcast or X under the handle at museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. hit up the website for my affiliate links, tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos, and until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.